to show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Offman's Podcast. And it's me. You know it's me. It's Dante. It's always going to be Dante because well, it's my show. And this week, my guest. So I follow this person on Instagram because most of my guests come from Instagram, as you all know. And, you know, I repost here and there because she has a lot of funny content. And just as I live vicariously through her her posts and her stories i'm like oh yeah i'm cool too we got to talking because she put up i feel like a very important post about realistic expectations of uh brazilian jiu-jitsu and self-defense in general so you know got to talking i was like hey come on on let's talk more about that let's just talk in general so this week's guest i want to welcome architect recording artist brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt and overall badass Sav Wright. Welcome to the show. How you feeling? I'm feeling great. And I'm so excited to be able to talk to you a little bit further. I know we've had some pretty good conversations and DMs about a variety of different topics. Um, and I view you as someone who's been incredibly supportive of my, not only my content, but just all of my values in general. So I'm definitely very excited to dive a little bit deeper into that uh, and share some thoughts. I appreciate, you know, kind words going my way thank you that makes me makes me feel like oh you know what people do care so the post that you know i i'm referencing is uh you shared it on your uh instagram where you're talking about again like kind of realistic expectations when it comes to self-defense and brazilian jiu-jitsu so if you don't mind uh, you know sharing i guess here for the listeners, um, you know, just kind of, you know, what you explained there. Yeah, I'll give a little bit of a recap, uh, a spark notes, if you will. Um, I had a girl reach out to me who um, is now training at our gym. And at the time, she was asking about, you know, like, is there anything from a woman's perspective that I need to know, or that it would be really helpful to know prior to starting jujitsu? And I feel like that was a question I had also asked at one point and people had given me the answers that you hear all the time or gym etiquette or, you know, the ins and outs of the actual sport. But I wish that someone had been a little bit more clear with me about the expectations and the self-defense portion of it. And so what I told her was that jujitsu has not necessarily taught me how to like fight people in real life situations but rather to like know when not to fight. And so in my video, I dove a little bit into that explanation and what that means because people will hear that and be like, well, learning a martial art is, you know, the point of that is to learn how to fight. And in so many regards, yes, but something happens when you do jujitsu or close combat sport for a while where you start to pick up on other things besides fighting and those things become a little bit more important when it comes to self-defense situations um, and these are things like being able to gauge somebody's strength or weight just by looking at them and getting in like close physical proximity with someone knowing when there are signs of aggression or i mean we call them like spazzy white belts but like when there's an ego involved particularly with new men that start the sport 
And you start to be able to gauge all of these things just by looking at a person, interacting with a person. And those tools become really helpful in more life-threatening situations. Because when you have those tools, you're going in with pre-existing knowledge of, is this person going to be aggressive? Are they larger than me? Are they stronger than me? Is it safe for me to try to fight against them? Or is it smarter to just take what I need to and leave in one piece? I have no idea how aggressive people are. And there were many scenarios as well where those were the tools that I was using over my seven years of jujitsu training or my you know, 16 years of comprehensive martial arts training, I have opted in many situations to not fight back. So that was the basis of my video is particularly from a woman's perspective, what has jujitsu taught me? And it has taught me when to be smart, make the right choices that are strategic for my safety and to not fight back at certain times. And with the video, so I reshared it into my story. So, you know, it's kind of a, you know, abbreviated you know clip there more so to kind of let people know because i feel like the way that you open the clip it you know it it you know brings you in it wants you know it makes people want to know more basically so you know when i reposted it to the stories it was like you know hopefully you know people pick up on this and go you know go listen to the rest of it did you get any pushback in the comments from from people specifically guys because i know guys are really more so on social media you know dudes are like oh well <laughs> yeah the men are the most vocal for sure um but i know 90 percent of them wouldn't say anything to my face and that goes for all of my content like not just the video that i posted but it's it's borderline concerning the amount of men that like comment really mean misogynistic things in my comments all the time i would say that particular video i didn't get a ton of pushback I think um, the people who were in my DMs or responding that weren't like in 100% agreement came at it with like a very level-headed approach and be like, well, did you factor X, Y, and Z? Or like they pose it as more of a question. And so I appreciated that. I know it was like there was a some sensitive topics within that video. Um, and a lot of it was just like, oh, I relate to this. Or like, this is really great information. And it was primarily women that were responding and being like, this is spot on. You know, that's what I've learned from martial arts. Or it's women who are thinking about getting into the sport being like, wow, this is really good to know. Um, but I would say overall, that video in particular didn't get a ton of pushback. There have been other videos that have. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. <laughs> well, because I have it set in my queue to put on my main uh, feed upcoming. And... I know whenever I repost anyone else's content, one thing I do is I go, look, let's see what the comments are on their side first so I can know what to prepare for. But also know on my side what's going to happen is there's a lot of people that are going to, you know, you know, come in and, you know, make these these goofy comments where it's like it is a little alarming sometimes, especially whenever I put up female content, especially, you know, I'll get guys that will say things and it's like. I've most times I don't I don't reply. A lot of times, depending on how aggressive the comment is, I'll just block them and you know move on with life. But you know, there's some comments that come out, and I'll reply I'm like, "Dude, you sound like you know you might have a problem that we might have to report." Yeah. Like, chill, dude. Yeah. And I think too, um, people not just men. This goes for any topic, but in this scenario, 
men have a hard time not overgeneralizing the situations and things that they don't have as much knowledge about or can't understand on a personal level. And with, you know, sexual assault or like literally any violent scenario or anything that poses a threat to a woman's safety, that is one area where like, you can't overgeneralize it, but men do it because very rarely are they the ones in that situation. So from an outside perspective, it looks as though like, well, you know, why would you get yourself in that situation in the first place? Or the standard, like, what were you wearing? You know, they they make like very generalized assumptions about the ability to handle and be like completely cognizant in a, in a life-threatening situation. And it's just not that simple. And so I think if anything, when this video gets posted, there might be a lot of like um, overgeneralizing in the comments from men or being like, well, just don't get yourself in those situations or, you know, stop wearing crop tops or like, you know, it's like very general comments where I'm like, I, I feel fine for the most part because I have extensive knowledge to be able to fight someone if I really absolutely need to. I wear whatever I want. I go wherever I want. 99% of the time I feel safe because I'm like, you know, worst case scenario, I do what I got to do. And in every other life-threatening situation I've been in, I have got myself out of there in one piece and safe, regardless of what I have to sacrifice or not sacrifice. And so I feel confident in my ability to handle those situations, but not everybody else does. And so it's not as simple as like, well, just don't get yourself there or, you know, just fight back. Or like, if you know how to punch someone, throw a punch. Like, who am I punching? What are his motives? You know, it's like, there's so many more factors in that, that, that men really don't relate to on a personal level for the most part. Um, and I think that's where a lot of those comments come from. So I don't really let them get to me, but <laughs> also like, I dare you to say it to my face. Come on. <laughs> yeah. That's always my thing is like, yeah, you're saying this on the internet, but like if we're in person, I think the conversation is a lot different. Also yeah. my favorite one that I always hear is you know well this wouldn't be a problem if you you know you carried a gun on you and it's like and uh, you know i'm not trying to make this a, a second amendment conversation or a gun conversation i don't care about guns if people want to have guns have all the guns you want if, if you yeah. like it have a blast no, no pun intended there but i don't want a gun there, like, we I, have to fry you know the the comment about like well, you carry a gun like you can't slap the band-aid on the fact that men are the problem <laughs> uh like scenarios of, like every single situation i've been in with a man who is posing a threat to my safety like a gun would have not fixed anything hate to break it to you <laughs> so no i just think it's funny because it's it's very much like slap a band-aid on it and let's not address the deeper issue <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It, it's you know like you said over generalizing yeah it's like okay this this would be the thing that's going to fix everything and it's like well it you know it could fix one thing, but then, you know, there are other problems that come with that. So you can't just say, do this. I know for me, when I talk to my friends about jujitsu and self-defense and, you know, all, all things, um, combat sport related, I do point out the fact, like one of the things you said is it tells, you know, jujitsu teaches you when to fight when to fight back, when not to. And ultimately, I always tell people your best self-defense is getting the hell out of there. You know, if you have the opportunity to run, run. Mm -hmm. Only fight when you absolutely positively have no other choice but to fight. Uh, my daughter, who is seven, she's not training yet. 
Um, I know people have given me a hard time. They're like, you need to get her in as soon as possible. It's like, it'll, it'll be fine. It's fine. Relax. Like, breathe. Uh, we, we have a, a child in our neighborhood who she's really good friends with, and, and the relationship has gotten so much better. But early on, that, that child had a little bit of a problem with their hands. And my daughter's such a sweet, sweet soul. She's like, she came home and she didn't want to tell us what happened. You know, the little girl hit her. And then it turns out it was accidental the first time. Now, the second time, not so much. And I was talking to my wife about it. And I was like, well, look, one of my concerns with our daughter knowing, you know, how to defend herself against this specific child is I think this child wants someone to hit her back or to fight her back because that gives her now free reign to just unload. And that's where, you know, the concept of knowing when to fight is important because there's some people you just don't want to fuck with. And there are others where it's like, you don't necessarily have to fight them as much as it's more so just kind of controlling the situation, whether it be body positioning or if you have to get into a scuffle and contain them. But, you know, people who don't train always have this idea in their head of like, oh, well, you know, you know, you know, martial arts, you know, and then they start doing the hand motions. It's like, you're like you'll defend us. It's like, no, I'm going to get us out of there. What the fuck is you're like? Yeah. No. No, uh, that's a great point because there are, um, I feel like there's a, a, an idea that like, if you, especially if you're in combat sports of some sort and you back away from a fight or you don't want to fight someone or you choose the nonviolence route that you're, you know, not legit or like you're a fake fighter or whatever it is, you know, and I've gotten that plenty of times, the whole like you fake fighter, like there's nothing fake about what I do except for the fact that I don't do the sport so that I can fight people. You know, I think that's the huge difference is people that are dedicated to the sport as a lifestyle um, and for the competition aspect of it will never choose to do that in real life unless absolutely necessary. But I just, I wish that there wasn't such a like, oh, you're kind of a pussy, like tied to the, you know, if you choose not to fight and the whole strategic decision-making that comes along with jujitsu, the way that I approach jujitsu as a sport in general, and the way that I was able to learn and digest the material that I'm taught is by looking at it as like a dichotomous key. So when you start a jujitsu match, you're both standing from there. Someone's either going to you either pull guard or you shoot a takedown. And those are your two options. And if you go this route and you shoot a takedown, well, then what do you do? You start passing or you're already passed and then you move forward. And so, you know, so it, it becomes this whole dichotomous key of options. Once I started doing jujitsu and understanding it as a dichotomous key, my decision making in real life, like outside of jujitsu, like that, like rapid decisions, strategic, like I can make really quick choices when I need to, especially in life situations like the ability to think quickly and be able to like see the image in your head and say like i have this option or this option what am i going to do and then where do i go from there and so that strategic decision making has been applied to the rest of my life not just jujitsu but i wish that people also approached the dichotomous key learning thing to jujitsu and i think if i ever have a school which i would like to i would like to really like enforce that because it's something that helped me really digest my strategic decision making well i oftentimes think about for me when when it comes to jujitsu when i started training 
especially when, when I start 2015, that seems like the right year. Yeah. 2015. <laughs> and you know, everything I did outside of jujitsu, the, no matter what I did, all my decisions kind of connected back to what I was doing on the mat, what I learned on the mat, mm-hmm. how to approach things, how to evaluate things and just break things down. You know, I used to be, you know, just headstrong and just like run into situations like, yeah, like I'm here, you know, after starting jujitsu, I had to really kind of break down, you know, why would I do this? Like, not, not just why, but then like, what's the, you know, next step to it? What's the consequence if, you know, this doesn't work or what's the payoff if it works, you know, and then, you know, where do we go from there? So there's, you know, there's, you know, just all these different steps and, you know, I definitely, you know, credit that to jujitsu for me, at least. I'm sure like, you know, that, that can be applied for many other things, but directly with jujitsu is like, okay, because in jujitsu, Hey, if, if, you know, I go for submission and, and it's risky and I miss and I miss, Oh, I'm fucked. And, and that's how I look at things. And I was like, Hey, let's go over here. Let's go do this. You know, you guys want to play basketball. Okay. Let's play basketball. Then I got to think, well, if I play basketball and I got a bad knee, and if I cut this way, I'm going to hit the, hit the ground and let's not do basketball. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's what my coach enforces as like low risk, high percentage. And technique wise, that's what we focus on at our school. But also I find myself now using that terminology just in life in general. I'm like, well, is it low risk, high percentage? Like what's my, is my return really high? Uh, And like, what do I have to give to get that? And I think that that's that low risk, high percentage terminology. I think that can be applicable to everything. Um, But yeah, it's crazy the amount of stuff that carries over from jujitsu into the other areas of my life and um unfortunately like i (laughs) i haven't picked anything to do in my life that i don't have to do at 110 percent all the things that i've chosen are like very intense um because i get bored easily i get i go kind of stir crazy if i don't have a lot to do so my schedule is packed but they're packed with all the right things and all the things that have me like as balanced of a human being as I can be. But I do find that jujitsu is sort of like the centripetal force that merges into the other areas of my life. I'm like, okay, well, you know, I did the wrong thing, but, um, but like I do the wrong thing all the time and I still recover and my defense is great. And I can, you know, it's like, especially when you add competition into jujitsu, it teaches you a whole different mindset of like, I mean, I'm so hard on myself and there are days when I really don't want to go to jujitsu or I have like a terrible practice and hate myself and like beat myself up or competitions that I lose. And it's like, like I am so hard on myself, but at the end of the day, there has not been one competition or match or fight that I have done where I have not made it through and like given my best, even on the days when I was sick or injured or whatever you know like there's just a mentality that carries throughout everything and i think that this is something that i had said so long ago and i remember actually posting about it on social media but it was closer to like when i had made the transition from mma into more like competitive jujitsu um but basically i had said something along the lines of like i think everyone should get punched in the face, like at least once, or just like be unloaded on in a corner, um, 
I, something happens. I don't know, but I still remember the first time that I was like, like really in a, a round in practice where people had started unloading on me. Like I was getting better and started sparring with the guys, the Amy and the pro fighters. And there was one guy who just unloaded on me. And after that point, I was like, no one can tell me shit. Like I just ate this dude's punches for five minutes straight. Like I'm going to be fine. No matter what life throws at me, nothing will feel as bad as getting punched in the face 27 times by this guy. And so I just think there's something that like the tenacity and the perseverance that forms from being cornered and being hit or being choked out or like whatever it is, like you are pushed to your breaking point repetitively. Every time that you decide that you want to be a competitive fighter, you are pushed to your limits every single time. And every single time you come out the other side for the most part, <laughs> you know, well, I think, you know, that's super important though, to understand and, you know, that's something I always explain with jujitsu to my friends. Or I try to explain it. None of them want to train. So it's like they're not going to fully understand, you know, the ideal that you're pushed to your limits. It, the question is, what do you do in those situations? How do you respond? Because that's once I started training and really getting into it and, and figuring out, like, how to actually embrace jujitsu, you know, Every time my my best friend, you know, she you know she'll come through like, oh, I'm dating this guy. And it's like, oh, cool. Hey, like, go find me a patch of grass. Bring him over. <laughs> you know. And I remember one of the guys, he, like, he he was just super uncomfortable. So he like that it, he didn't stick around. I felt bad. I told him like, dude, I'm so sorry. But we didn't actually grapple or anything. But you know, I kept kind of messing with him. And I'm relatively introverted and, and shy. But for some reason, that dude, I was like, "Come on, dude! Like, like, what are you like? Let's let's try it. Try it. it'll be fun, dude. Come on!" And then even she came over and started grappling with me. I was like, "Dude, come on, dude! It'll be fine." And I think he was probably thinking like, "This broad is a lunatic. Who she introduced yeah. me to?" But for <laughs> me, like in in those situations, it, you learn a lot about a person when you're you know. My neighbor actually came and did a trial class with me once, and he was in the army, so you know. We always talk about it and he's like, yeah, I want to come through and try it and just mop the floor with them. But it's because he didn't know the things that I yeah. knew. So those like little details, but he fought back. And that's what I'm always looking for. It's like, what are you going to do when you're in a bad position? If, you, if you're if you're mounted, are you going to just tap because of, you know, the claustrophobia? Are yeah. you going to try to fight out? And I think that's an important thing for people to understand about themselves is like you said, if you're cornered and you're getting like worked on, it's just like, there's no escape. How do you respond to that? Do you come out of that and you say, okay, not letting that happen again. Or do you say, maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. So. I think, I think I usually, um, in those specific situations, particularly in training or like during fight camps and stuff. And even when I visit other gyms, I have usually three responses. One is I get angry, but not like angry, like aggressive, mean, spazzy, angry, like motivated to not be as bad. Um, or like if someone is rolling a little too hard with me, my aggression picks up. Mind you, I have the technical ability to be aggressive and still be technical. It's usually less aggression and more just like picking up the speed or like being faster with submission attacks and things like that. And so 
me and my coach, uh, April Parks, we talk about this all the time because she is a multi-time, multiple-time, yeah, multiple-time world champion. Um, First-degree black belt, like, amazing, right? Like, just amazing at this. Everywhere that she goes to teach seminars, she visits other gyms. You know, she stays in roles with people, but she's constantly trying to be killed by men with fragile egos. Blue belts, purple belts will just like unload on her. And I get the same thing. But especially when you visit other gyms where they don't get to roll with you regularly and see like what you're actually capable of. She doesn't want to go to all of these gyms and have to go 3000% every time she rolls with people. Like she would like to just get good rounds and not have to worry about some purple belt coming up and being like, well, I beat April Parks and she's a black belt. So I'm better. I'm a black belt. Like it's just the like it's so frustrating because that aggression kicks up like the response of the aggression like we don't want to have to be aggressive i promise you if i'm going 100 i will beat you if you're a man and you have been training less than six years i will beat you i don't want to go 100 all the time it's not healthy for me when that happens that's when the aggression switches on and that's my response to someone going a little bit too heavy with me Number two is that I just like feel dead. I just feel dead. And I'm like, you know what? My body's not in it. My brain's not in it. I'm going home. I'm taking the day off. Number three, um, I just cry. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes uh, when I'm training, especially if it's like a fight camp or I am just like being beaten up or I'm being forced to do, you know, eight minute rounds or whatever, like I get so physically exhausted that I just, I go to the sidelines, I cry for like 30 seconds, get it out. And then I go right back to it. And sometimes that's the response that I need. And basically what I'm getting at is all three of these responses are necessary for different situations. Um, typically it's the aggression one that comes out, but occasionally the other two will happen and that's fine. And I think all three reactions are completely necessary. I went to a gym with my coach for, she was like teaching a seminar or whatever. And there's a guy, there was a guy who I think white belt, blue belt, something, probably like six to maybe like hundred, like like probably two hundred pounds, right? I'm gonna give him, I'm gonna give him a little size. He's a big guy, and he called me out during open mat, and he was like, "Come on, purple belt, let's see what you got," right? And immediately I'm like, "Watch your mouth." <laughs> um, and so I was like, okay, um, all right. So I rolled this guy thinking like, okay, he's just joking around. Maybe he's chill, whatever. This guy is fighting for his life. Like, like every single ounce of energy, strength, this guy is just going. Like, oh God, like I'm going to have to do six minutes of this. Like, I don't want to do six minutes of this. So anyway, like that is when the aggression kicked on for me. It was no longer a fun role. It was not like a nice, chill, fun role. Let's get work in. I'm visiting. It was like this man was clearly trying to be aggressive and assert dominance over somebody who is more tactical and more skilled than him. So I submitted him. And then he got angry. So I did it again. And then he got angrier. And then he, you know, this thing happens all the time. We're like, we start here. And, and a guy will take a jump here. And I'm like, okay. And then he'll get upset because I meet him here. And he'll jump up. And it's just like this constant, right? And I'm like, if you pick it up, I'm going to pick it up. And you don't want me to pick it up, <laughs> right? Like, I don't want to have to pick it up, but I will pick it up. 
And uh, so he got really angry and he picked me up. I had, I had my guard closed and he picked me up and he slammed me on the mat. And I called him out in front of the entire gym. I was like, why are you slamming me? You are three times my size. Control yourself. And he's like, sorry, sorry, sorry. Right. At this point, like everyone was like, what's going on? Like I was pissed. I was so mad. So then he was just like aggressive. But even after that, like he didn't stop. So I just, uh, I took his back. I choked him out. And then I got up and I said, I'm done. Thank you. And I left. And that leads me into the other thing that I had to learn. I had to like literally relearn how to say no to roles. When I was a white belt, it was really easy to be like, no, like I don't feel comfortable rolling, whatever. Like I just don't feel experienced enough or comfortable enough. And then now that I am further along, there's an expectation that like I should be willing to roll with everyone. And I'm sorry, but I don't feel bad saying no now. I say no all the time, even to the guys at my own gym, the big guys. They're like, you want to roll? I'm like, no, I don't. Because it's counterproductive. After a certain point, if you are over 180 pounds, it is counterproductive for me to roll with you, especially when all you do is sit on me for five minutes. So I'm I'm a little bit more strategic now about who I roll with. And again, that goes back to the sort of sixth sense that comes with jujitsu. Like I can look at you, I can know by the size of your calves, I can know, <laughs> you know, I can know how, what you weigh, how strong you are. Uh, if you were a wrestler, like if you're 180 pounds and you were a D1 college wrestler, I'm not rolling with you. And if I am, I'm pulling guard the whole time, you know? Um, so just like gauging what's safe and what's not and not feeling bad for saying no. I'm 140 pounds. If your intention is to not be technical with me and to sit on me or to throw me around and injure me, I'm not doing it because it's not smart and I don't feel bad. So that's my spiel on that. I oftentimes wonder when it comes to anyone that rolls that way, you know, it's like, okay, you're a bigger guy. You're going to roll with a female. It's like, if you're not rolling to test your technique and help improve their, improve their technique or help in some capacity, or, you know, try to improve your own technique with them, then what are you really there for? Are you there just to feed your ego? Yeah. Because it, it, it's like, again, that, you know, leave your ego at the door. That's, yeah. you know, what we always say. And again, you get people who come in and it's just, they, they, they don't know how to do that. And, you know, I've, I've had friends in the past you know, they refuse to roll with females, you know, for whatever reason, they never, they would never say why they refuse to roll with females. And one guy specifically, uh, I, I went to his gym years ago when I was just starting, just kind of as a trial class at his gym. And there's all guys, there's one female there and I roll with her and, you know, this is me maybe day two. And it just, I had nothing for her. I was like, I, you know, I'm like, well, I know I'm stronger than you, but I know it's piss poor etiquette to come in as a new guy, especially, and just pick her up and throw her across the gym. Like, yeah, that was easy. Yeah. You know, bring on the next one. But, um, you know, I talked to him afterwards, like, uh, you know, the one lady in there, she kicked the shit out of me. And, you know, he's like, it, he goes just without missing me, I don't roll with women. And I had, two theories to that but after really kind of getting to know his personality later on i think theory number two is is the correct one the first theory was 
you know, he he was dating a good friend of mine. And my thought was, oh, maybe he's like that kind of guy. It's like, I don't want to roll with a female just because I don't want this to get awkward. And, and I feel like I'm doing something it's only wrong. awkward. Which is awkward. <laughs> it's literally only so, awkward. So like, this is, you know, Dante in the beginning. That's because I don't know at that time. So I was like, I don't know. Maybe that could be awkward. It wasn't awkward for me rolling with her because, again, I was fighting for my life. Like, yeah, there's nothing awkward yeah. there at all. Yeah, it was like, like, please, lady, I'm just <laughs> here to see what this is like. You're, yeah. you're scaring yeah. me. And then the other thought that I had for you know why he wouldn't roll with women is you know, you know, ego. You know, it's like, well, if she beats me, you know, I don't want to look bad getting beat by a girl. What's or I don't, I don't, but after really kind of hanging out with him a whole, whole lot more and talking, it's like, okay, it's the ego part. That's what it really is. He, he doesn't want to roll with the woman himself personally because he knows he, he out muscles her and, you know, he's like, well, you know, shit goes, you know, left. I'm, I'm going to, you know, the detonation button. I'm, I'm using all the strength. But you know, I, I can't prove that that's what it really is. But I'm I'm leaning heavier towards that. But you know, at my gym, everyone rolls with everyone. There ain't no one that's like I'm not rolling with any females. Yeah. It's like everyone's the same. It's like, look, yeah. if you if you sign that waiver and you're on these mats, like you know, we we can go. So yeah. it, even for myself, it's like my coach used to have me roll with um my main training partner was uh, a smaller female and he had us roll all the time and we we kind of like grew up together like learning off each other like working our technique and eventually it became a detriment for her though because as she was competing i'm not moving like the females that she's going to compete against i'm moving like a, a old 40 year old dude with a bad hip <laughs> it's like okay I can do only so much. Oh, you you want like, you know, a scramble here into this position? The best I can give you is half guard. Yeah. <laughs> like, sorry. Yeah, that's a lot. My coach, uh, I mean, April and G. So April and G are together. They've been together for a while um, and they open their school together. And G is very good at because he doesn't compete as much as April does. Actually, he just competed for the first time at Black Belt. Um, but April is high level competitor. And so for both April and I, he's very good at being like, what do you need today? Like, am I a, am I a 145 pound purple belt or am I, you know, a 145 pound black belt? What am I? Right. And he'll roll like that. He's very good at adapting and adjusting for April and I, and I wish that that was a skill that more people had because it is getting to that point now where like, not only are we women that you train with, but we are competitive women that you train with. First of all, don't injure us. Second of all, we need to have training partners that best mimic who we're going to be facing when we actually compete. And training under April has been life-changing just to have her insight as, I mean, she, her and I are pretty much the same size. Um, and she's got many, many years of training on me and, you know, but it's, it's an honor to be kicked around by somebody who is, so good and so talented and i've learned more from her and g in 
six months related to jujitsu than, you know, any other place I've been in my life. I started uh, with Jake Bone in Rochester. I grew up in Rochester and, um, and I still, you know, that's my home family. That's my home team. And he definitely did more of the, like I view him as more like my striking or MMA coach. And I was like very MMA focused with him there. Um, and then I moved to Syracuse for school and I've been here ever since and dabbled in a few other gyms, but essentially ended up here. And I feel like this is my jujitsu spot. So I, you know, I still visit back at home and like, I still train with the boys. Uh, they'll always be like the OG boys. That's our group. We all kind of like came up together and uh, I love them to death. It's just hard. Cause I wish I could have all of my training partners in one place. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's a, it's really important to find training partners that most mimic your competition and it's getting harder to do the, the higher up that you get, especially like as a woman and, and being able to like be with April is so essential for me. It's been so helpful. So, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, your, your background in MMA, your history in MMA, look, could you kind of go over, I guess your, you yeah. know, what got you started? Like, why did you start? I'll give you my whole life story. Um, so when I was three, my mom um, forced my sister and I into Tatsudo. It's like a, something close to Taekwondo. It's a kind of like a mix of a bunch of different styles. And we had a local dojo. And so I started when I was three and it was like Olympic style sparring when I started competing. Um, and I did that up until I was like 13 or 14. My mom got her black belt. I am actually the only girl in my family. <laughs> it's not a Tatsudo black belt. I quit at brown belt uh, because I got bored. So I was like, mom, I'm bored. And at the same time, Jake Bone had just started teaching out of that same dojo because he was local or whatever. And he used the space and he had his really small classes and he just did like boxing and kickboxing. And he was at the time coming up as an MMA fighter. And I remember seeing him teaching a class after after we had practice or whatever, and Jake went in there and they were striking. And I was like, mom, I want to do that. Like, that looks so cool, right? Like actually hitting stuff and like throwing kicks, whatever. And so next thing I know, I started training with Bone. I was like 14. And for a while, like he was like, just like a big brother. Like it was really cool. There were like a couple other, you know, older guys. And then there were a couple kids that were my age too. And those ended up being the boys that I kind of came up with. And we were just like a wolf pack. I don't know. It was really fun. And I, I did the boxing, kickboxing up till I was like 17. Um, and then they had MMA classes going on and I watched all the boys that I knew and they were doing MMA and, you know, Bone was like, you should try MMA. Why not? And I was like, well, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I just know how to punch and kick. And so I tried it and I started it and I was like, wow, my ground game is shit. Like I have no wrestling. I have no jujitsu. And so I started to put a little more focus on that. And so I definitely started taking jujitsu a little more seriously and started competing when I was like, 18 I think yeah 18 was my first jiu-jitsu competition ever and um it was to prepare me 
for my MMA debut. So at that point, I was pretty heavy in the MMA, and I was like, yeah, I'm going to make my debut. I'll, you know, if I amateur or whatever. And I had a very different set of plans at that time. And uh, and all the boys were uh, making their amateur debuts. And um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm just going to – I'm hanging right with the boys, and I'm going to do that. And so I'll compete a little bit in jiu-jitsu, get rid of the nerves, just get into the competition scene in general. And I ended up just never leaving. Like I, I did the jujitsu competition. I kind of fell in love with it. And I was like, this fills my competition void. I can still train MMA. I can still work my striking and just compete for jujitsu. And so as time progressed, I, I would say I just shifted focus a little bit. Um, my striking is still very good. My MMA is still pretty good. Um, but my jujitsu has far surpassed that. And I remember it's just like weird to see the the stark contrast of like at one point my jujitsu was so bad, so bad, so bad to the point where I was like, I cannot make an MMA debut on this jujitsu, you know? So now looking back and like, that's crazy because now I'm actually even better at jujitsu than I am striking. And like, I'm a pretty good striker. So I would say the pivotal point was like 20, 2019, like right before COVID hit was when I started to take it really seriously. And I trained over COVID, not as much as I would have liked to, but I did train. And then when I got my purple belt, I just like pedal to the metal competition. I competed left and right, got as many matches as I could. Um, just to try to like ease the nerves a little bit. Cause I knew that competing was something I wanted to do regularly, but I do get really nervous before I compete. And uh, so I was like, I'm just going to work on the performance anxiety thing. I'd say it's a little better now. Like I'm a little more confident with myself, but I still do get nervous. Um, and the better that I got and the more that I competed, the harder it became to find matches, especially local to me. So I started having to travel and I started having to take matches against Brown and black belts. And that's kind of still where I'm at. I, it's really difficult to find tournaments or matches, even super fights, like super fights are a little bit easier, which is why I've been, you know, I took a super fight at purple against my Yankello. Um, and that was good. It was, you know, pretty fair, but I am running into that same issue where it's like, I am the matches I have to take or the matches I'm being offered are against brown and black belts. Uh, speaking of which, I'm headlining Blood Diamond submission on July 15th in Virginia against John Wood. So that's my my upcoming. And that's a super fight. Uh, she thinks she's like a four straight brown belt. But, you know, the way I see it is like, regardless of who I'm competing against, and this has been true at any level, if you put me against somebody that is more experienced than I am, weighs more than me, like, it doesn't mean I'm going to try any less. Um, the odds might not necessarily be in my favor. But there's no harm that can come from going against someone with more experience. And, um, you know, I fought Alex Enriquez. That was crazy. You know, Alex is, like, insane. And I stood up with Alex Enriquez for two and a half minutes. And to me, like, that was a victory. You know, at the time, I was, like, still kind of a fresher purple belt. And I was like, you know what? Go me. You know, I'm taking the matches that nobody else wants to take. I don't care if I'm a purple belt. Eventually, I'm going to be caught up or where they are now. And, uh, and I'm going to be able to take those same matches, you know, or, or vice versa. I'm going to be taking them against somebody else. So I don't really care. I don't really care about losing, um, you know, your record and who you lose to, I think is more detrimental to you and your mentality than it will be to anyone that's viewing you from the outside. 
I can separate myself from my emotional state and say like from an outside perspective, like the fact that she even got up as a, as a fresh purple belt and went and fought Alex Enriquez, like, you know, that's enough props in and of itself. I give myself props for that from an emotional state. I'm like, damn, I'm sick of losing, <laughs> you know, but also like the people that I'm losing to, I'm, I'm surviving with, I am making it the full round time with, I'm going to overtime with. So I'm still giving just as much effort and I'm still showing what I need to show. And eventually someday I'm going to be exactly where they are and I'm going to be, you know, it's going to be way closer. So I don't really think that there's anything bad that can come from taking those matches, but yeah. So that's a little bit of how I got into martial arts. I dabbled in a few different gyms, as I mentioned, and bone is sort of like my home gym. That's my, my origin story. Um, but I had to, once I came to Syracuse, I had to find a gym to train at while I was at school. And the first gym that I went to was so incredibly toxic. I was actually glad that COVID hit because it was an excuse to cancel my membership. There, like there were so many red flags. Uh, They wouldn't let you cross train. Like you could only train at that gym. You were locked into a 12 month contract at a ridiculous price. Um, I wasn't allowed to do uh, takedowns or wrestling. You could only start sitting. It was really weird. They would separate, like for all of the drills and situationals, they would separate the men and women. So like I could only drill with the women. And there were no competitive notable fighters coming out of their gym. They had one guy that was like many, many years ago. But there are no like really comparable, reputable fighters coming out of the gym. And that was like a red flag to me. And I was like, if I seriously want to compete and I want to be good at this, like, where am I going to go? Because there really weren't that many options at the time. Then another gym opened up and I had um, like a mutual who was opening the gym. And I was like, okay, I'll go there because he was like relatively high level competitor. And I was like, this will be much better. It was for a while till it wasn't. And then April and G opened their school. And I was like, April Parks is where I need to go because April has everything that I want. And the best way to get to where you want to be is to look at what somebody else has and go get it and ask them how they got it and follow along and watch what they do and listen to them. And that's what I've been doing. And I really do think that um, April and G are going to take me exactly where I need to go. And I don't even know where that is yet, but we're going. (laughs) There's that trust. Yeah. It feels right. You trust yeah, it. I trust them. I do. Yeah. And I can't necessarily say that about every other coach I've had. Like Bone, uh, G and April, I trust them. They're good people. That's that's a good thing. And I think that is an extremely important thing. You know, you get a lot of people, like you said, the one gym was extremely toxic. You know, you know, big red flag is, you know, you can't cross train. You know, it's like and you know, I don't know, it, that's a a weird thing to me when it's like, well, you know, no, you can't go out and, you know, learn with someone else. I, I think it's even strangers. Like you can't cross train and you don't have any competitors coming out yeah. of there. It's like, like no what are you cross training? I'm like, I'm not even like, you're not even my home gym. My home gym's in Rochester and you know him. Like they knew bone too. And uh, they were like, you can't cross train. I'm like, well, I'm technically cross training with you because I, I belong to them. You know, like that's who I identify yeah. with. So I just thought the whole thing was so weird and like, why, you know, and you would think if you are a gym owner and you have someone who comes to you and says like, I want to be a competitor, I want to take things seriously. And, you know, I want to, you know, maybe represent you, whatever. 
I would give them the resources to be able to do that. But like, I wasn't allowed to like, very weird rules. Like I wasn't allowed to hit the bags before practice. I wasn't allowed in the other room if there was no teacher in there. Like I wasn't allowed to put in extra work on the side. Like it was just weird. And so I dipped out of there and I was like, gotta go. <laughs> right. And if I had stayed there, like, and at the time I remember just like being so concerned and I was like, where am I going to go? Like, what am I going to do? Honestly, training in my basement would have been better than that. But at the time I was just so concerned. And this has happened so many times throughout my life with other things with jujitsu. I'm just being so afraid to like leave where I'm at in the current position for the fear of like not having the security of my current schedule and the current comfort of people that I know and training partners and having to go outside and like re-meet new people, new coaches, new environments. And at every gym that I have been at, I have had this sort of like fear of leaving where I'm like, you know, what if I leave and it's like not as good or like, what if I'm not going to be able to find any better? And like me wanting to leave is my sign from the universe. So like, it's time to go. If it wasn't time to go, I wouldn't want to leave. And I can see that so clearly now that I am in a good place and I'm with good people and good coaches. And I feel at home, like I would never in a million years want to leave. Like I am living in Syracuse so that I can stay and keep training with these people. And that's not a feeling that I had felt since training full-time at home with bone. And I just think that was, I mean, I, I don't know. I just look back and I'm like, I, I wish for every time that I was scared of leaving, I had understood that it was just the door opening for me to find something else. And like, you will find better, you know, and just to not be so scared of it. But yeah, the change at the time was really scary. Yeah. Well, I think too, it's like, you feel good where you're at. You, you know, you don't have that, that urge to like just escape, you know, I think it's it's a clear sign, you know, you're at home. Yeah. So, yeah, I, there was a point where I I wasn't thinking like, oh, I don't like my gym. I, I love my gym. But I think there was a point where I felt like my schedule and their schedule wasn't jiving. I was like, I need to go somewhere where there's a, a schedule that's going to work for me. Yeah. And I looked around a couple places and, you know, nice folks out there, uh, you know, but, you know, and I know I'm biased because it's my gym, but it's like, look, man, I, I think, you know, here in Maryland, you know, we, we've got, you know, some of the best, you know, competitors, best coaches, like best atmosphere and culture. And, and it's like, why would I leave this? Like, you know, like this, these are my people, but, you know, there's also that thought sometimes I'm like, you know, it's like, like I'm Ariel and the little mermaid is like, I, you know, I want to, you know, go over there. I want to see what's going yeah. on over there. Yeah. Then you realize like, maybe I don't really want legs. Yeah. Maybe I need to go back in the ocean and be yeah. you know, with my folks. Yeah. I mean, there's sort of like two sides to that coin. One is like you leave and you're like, man, I really wish that I could have seen how awesome I had it before. And like, you got to leave in order to know that you want to go back home or there is the you got to leave to figure out that you don't want to go back home, you know, and, and both ways, like you're going to have to venture out. I love um, like the relationships that I've made with other fighters and people in the community through social media and just through mutual friends or visiting gyms. And everywhere I travel, I try to stop into a gym and sometimes I'll even take trips just so I can go visit a gym, you know? And I think it's important because you get to 
have little glimpses into other people's lives and like other people's gym environments. And even though I do that, I still want to come home, you know, and even when I find really cool gyms and that's the mentality of April and G is really like, you can go other places because we're not concerned that you're going to leave. You know, like we have such a solid, good foundation here at our gym and such a great atmosphere that we're not worried that you're going to leave. Like you can go wherever you want. So I enjoy the fact that I can still dabble in my friends' gyms or go visit here and there and be able to like get those exploration jitters out and like be able to go venture into the world. But I don't need to do it permanently. I don't need to make a permanent switch and I can go visit people and absorb other people's lives while still being able to like feel confident in coming home and being like, yes, these are my people. This is where I'm at. And not every day is going to be a good day. Um, not every day of training is a good day, but every single day of the support and the community at my gym is a good day. You know, even when I don't feel good about myself, even when I'm frustrated at the way that I'm performing or I'm not grasping things as quickly or I'm cutting weight or like literally whatever might be going wrong. It's never a reflection of the, of the gym environment. It's never a reflection of the people there. It is, it's just the, the ebbing and flowing natural cycle of like being an athlete and performance. But uh, if you can find that like consistent environment with good positive people that will be there even on the days when your jujitsu is rough, <laughs> you know? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I always feel like, you know, no matter what, if, you know, you go here, you go there, yeah. you always have a place to come back to. You're always going to be welcome and it's never going to feel weird yeah. coming back. So yeah. that's a good thing. I think it's beautiful. It is. Um, <laughs> So one other thing I wanted to kind of ask about or talk about was music. Yeah. I I think um, I might have saw it in your stories. And then I ended up on, well, I use Amazon Music. So I was like, okay, let me go, you know, seek this song out. And it's actually on my favorites list. It, it comes up, you know, through my rotation of however many songs I have. It was like, you know, like. 75 songs I like kind of just cycled through. Uh, the, it, every so often though, when it comes up, I have to like remind myself, like, what is this? And I'm like, what's like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Now now, now I'm in. I get it, I get it. So uh musically, because I mean, again, you, you're doing a lot of stuff. You just got, you know, you, you everything in, in one bag. But when it comes to music you know, has that always been like, just since you're a little kid, just always singing, always had an ear for music or did it just come about like later on? Like, you know what? I guess I'm gonna try this now too. Yeah. So my, I grew up with a brother who is a professional opera singer. Uh, he went to Fredonia for like music and we, my family always just like, we we're very like musical family. Not everyone was like super musically talented, but my brother definitely was. And I looked up to my brother a lot. Uh, he played hockey and then I also played hockey. Like I just wanted to be my brother, you know? Um, and ever since I was really young, I had two outlets. One was music and one was fighting or like some sort of martial art. And so I had like the physical realm, I had the emotional realm. And that's like sort of how I just healed myself. Um, 
And people who know me very closely know that like growing up, I was bullied really bad in school. Like I switched schools in second grade and from second grade until the time I graduated, like I had dealt with the same group of really mean people. And so I didn't enjoy my childhood. Uh, it was really painful. And it just sort of like became an outlet, both things for me, both martial arts and writing music um, became an outlet for me. And it was really the only way that I was able to like process things, especially at a young age, because I wasn't, when I had started writing music, I wasn't old enough to like fully comprehend how to like be introspective and process emotions or like talk to my therapist, you know? So the closest thing that I could do was just like move my body and um, like make things that sounded or like sounded good to my heart you know and so obviously the older that I got it was something that I just kept doing and I just kept going through more life things and so for every single hard life thing that I went through like there was a song or an album um and I have a lot of music that's written that like I probably will never put out or like just still hasn't been recorded I probably I've written probably like 250 songs um and there's only like a small portion of those out but like that is my, like, I don't, I mean, I do journal sometimes, but like, instead of journaling or instead of like talking to friends, like I just sit down and I write a song and then I feel better. And I joke about it with my, be- <laughs> one of my best friends, because I'm like, you know what, if you do me wrong and I write a full song about it, I ha- I feel no ways about it anymore. You know, like once the song's written, good luck coming back. Cause I, that's how I process, close the chapter and moved on. And, um, so really, it's just like an, an emotional outlet for me, and um, that that in jujitsu, martial arts in general is like still to this day how I continue to process all of my emotions. Uh, and it's funny because I do like the really gritty stuff, and I'm like, I'm a fighter, um, and I'm like an architect, and I you know I run all the men, and like I do all this STEM stuff, and like, and then I have this very soft side where I just like write really sad music. <laughs> That's just how it comes out, you know? Um, yeah, and I don't I don't really even care if people listen to it. It's mostly for me, you know? Like, if I if I, I write a certain song about something that happens, and it's, like, every time that that feeling pops up or, like, I think about it, I just listen to the song, and I wrote that song as a way to, like, mend that part of my heart that is still concerned with that thing. So I'm my own therapist just through my music, so... I, I mostly write it for me to listen to, if I'm being totally honest, but but I'm glad that you listen to it. It's funny because like I think about that, you know, when when it comes to me, I, I don't write anymore. I used to write a lot, you know, again, just to kind of get through things. Yeah. Um, whether it be I mean what was it in middle school, maybe high school. Like, I remember listening to Sade, and there was a song, and I couldn't understand what she was saying. So I just started writing my own words. <laughs> I made my own and song. Like, yeah, and that's how a lot of my writing went. You know, if I was going through something, if I'm listening to a Mariah Carey song. It's like, you know, I could write something to that, to that tune. Yeah. Okay. And I'm going through this. And a lot of it, you know, I, I would always just kind of keep hidden. You know, you know, people knew that I, I would write, and it was always kind of this weird contrast because it was like this dude who's out there just like, you know, on the football field running into people with this with this skull, and, and you know, trying to fight everyone, 
and then you know at the end of the day i'm at home writing like just you know like writing ballads it's all about balance you know yeah but in the thing you know the the you know main thing though like you said it's for you it's like it's not so much that you know you're writing it's like you know hey guys you like this is how i feel yeah. read this or listen to this it's like no it's, it's essentially journaling i think yeah. for me at one point it was me actually you know i would write something to hand it to a girl like hey i like you and then it's like yeah um that was like that, that's sweet of you, but I don't feel that way about you. I was like, okay, can I have that back? Because yeah. I, I didn't make a copy of that. I, I need that. <laughs> you know, um, I was I was a really awkward kid. Like, just yeah. I would do weird shit, and then yeah. and then I'd go and play sports. And I'm like, okay, maybe he's not so awkward. He's a good athlete. And it's like, no, no, trust me, I'm really fucking weird. Yeah. Like, I'm a very yeah. odd guy, but yeah. it's life. Yeah, I if I wrote music for other people it would sound a bit different like what i write and the way that it's produced um it's not like your your most admired genre especially like people my age like if i was writing my music for other people it would sound much different um but it doesn't because i write it for me so i basically tell people like yeah i make music it's for me but if you want to listen to it and you like it i'm so glad go for it <laughs> you know i do yeah, um, good. That's but, good. So, it, but I, I just like music. Period. So it's like, you know, my wife, she'll like there'll be music on, and she's like, Ugh, "What is this?" You know, and it's like you, you haven't even given it a chance. Like, because yeah. like we're old, so like old people like to kind of stick to their ways. It's like you know what I really liked. I really liked uh, the Gin Blossoms. It's like yeah, that that's cool. I mean, you know, there's other music now. There's a lot more yeah. music now. You can. It's okay to listen to it. It's like, no, no, no. I like what I like. It's like, okay, that's cool. Well, I like to hear other stuff. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that's for people. You know, just kind of a a a really good outlet. Just whether it's you, you know your yeah. own music or just listening to someone else's music. And yeah. my daughter, you know, she's getting into that mode now. She's seven and. She's just like right now she listens to, I think, Disney zombies. So she's really big into that. But then when it's bedtime, because I don't sing low, the only like bedtime song I sing is Twinkle Twinkle uh, Little Star. And like she asked me recently, Dad, do you know any other songs besides Twinkle Twinkle? And I was like, Well, baby, I, I know other songs. It's just I know that one very well. So I know one to my core. <laughs> Um, but she'll ask me to uh, if she could have a quiet song for bedtime. So that usually means uh, Mariah Carey or Kareem Bailey Ray or something, you know, like a ballad. And, you know, I'll put the music on and, you know, now, now she's singing along to it. And it's just really, really like, OK, so good, good. You're 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 exploring music and, yeah. and then Spice Girls. She, she <laughs> Spice Girls a lot. Yeah, I uh, sometimes I get overwhelmed by the amount of things that I do. And it's hard because each of the things that I do in a way is like very healing to my soul. Just they're different, different pieces of me. Um, but there's not really anything I've chosen that I can do at, you know, 80%. Um, my, 
I say this all the time. I'm like, I would probably be so much better at jujitsu if I didn't work 75 hours a week or if I didn't have 90 million other things going on. And like, I think about the professional fighters who they wake up in the morning, they have their first training session, they go home, they take a nap, all their foods meal prepped for them. Then they go back for another training and then they do the same thing again and they go to their recovery lounge or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I'd probably be performing way better too if I got more than six hours of sleep and, you know, didn't have 75 hours of work to cram. Um, but also like, it's hard because I want to have all of my outlets. Like I am so good at the things that I do, especially like professionally as an architect. I, um, I don't know. Like I love doing that. It's amazing. And I don't think I could ever like sacrifice one or the other, which is why I'm like, no, I can make this work. Like I can do both things. I can be a competitive athlete and, you know, have a full-time job and, and um, sometimes it just gets really overwhelming and I definitely stack my schedule really full and it requires me to be incredibly organized. And sometimes I just like, I burn out. I do. I'm not going to lie. I get tired. Uh, my training slacks because I'm so tired from other life things. But um, I think if I didn't have one or the other, I'd probably lose my mind and I definitely wouldn't be as like, I wouldn't have the head on my shoulders that I do professionally i'm taught how to like keep my composure and um athletically and competitively i am taught how to um like utilize the composure if that makes sense like knowing how to keep your composure and knowing what to do with your composures are two very different things um and so i don't necessarily want to sacrifice one or the other but i do sometimes think about like how much better of an athlete would i be if i wasn't so involved in everything else what led you to architecture so ever since i was like 13 i was just like build stuff and i when i was 13 i was like mom i'm gonna be an architect right because at the time being a professional fighter like wasn't on the table it was never on the table for me uh, my mom actually like hates that i do this stuff but um i was really young i was really smart um and then I was like, I'm going to architecture school. And so off I went. Um, I did a five-year undergrad. Um, I just graduated in June, in May with my bachelor's, which is like, it's a five-year accreditation. And then somehow I got roped back into my master's. So now I start grad school again in August. So now I'll be working full-time with grad school, with competitive fighting. Um, I'm a little nervous, but I've also kind of been doing that for like the last three years. So yeah, on top of working full-time, also stack on the school thing. I've been doing that too for five years. Um, and architecture is hard. It's not like a show up to your lectures and just like, whatever. it's very time consuming. Um, but I also am trying to project like where I'd like to go with my future. And now that things are a little bit more realistic for me, like fighting wise and professionally, I think it's important that I establish like a good professional career that I can always fall back onto when I have to retire from competitive fighting. Um, even if there's no money ever involved in competitive fighting, I still need to have something to fall back onto after I'm done competing. And I would love that to be a gym. I would love to open my own gym at some point, whether it's, you know, the next five years or 10 years or whatever I want it to be. Um, but at the same time, I need to be able to afford 
my other hobbies and passions and architecture has been a way to do that. And I've been fortunate enough to like be disgustingly overeducated and very good at what I do. And um, it is the reason why I'm able to travel to compete or why I'm able to, you know, go to seminars or whatever it is. And it's important to have the fallback because really what happens when your body can no longer fight or compete or run your gym or whatever it is like, what are you going to do with your life? And so I have found something that I'm also passionate about that luckily like brings in good money. Um, But it's like, how do I balance and put one thing, you know, like do I, for the time being put more priority on jujitsu because I'm only going to be young one time, you know, or do I stay here because it's, set me on a really great path professionally so that's kind of my struggle right now is like my life choices and like where do I want to go with my life um but also I know that if I want to open a gym I'm going to be able to need to afford it so and I like nice things so I want to afford those things too so yeah I mean you seem to I mean like you said you've been doing it for the last three years kind of this juggling act so you know, business as usual, and congrats on, uh, you know, graduation. Okay. And, you, know, so, you know, it's a big accomplishment, you know, so, and, and just with all the stuff that you do, especially, so good for you. Good. Yeah, um, my daily, my daily schedule is, uh, it's the same every single day. I'm a big, I'm a big uh, routine person. Like, I like my routine. I do the same thing every day. I'm usually up at like seven. I start working at 730. I get done at five. Uh, sometimes I have to like dabble for an hour and do like internship work or whatever. Um, and then I train from like six to eight thirty, and I come home, I shower, have dinner, catch up on emails, whatever, go to sleep. And then I do it all again the next day. Like every day is pretty much the same, but I kind of like it cause I know what to expect and it keeps me on a good path. Oh, good. I mean, I think that's the important thing. It, it works for you. You like it, you know what to expect. So you know, it, it only becomes a problem when you say, you know what, this isn't cool. Yeah. Like, I don't like this. It's, it's Groundhog's Day. Yeah. So. Yeah. I do feel like I missed out on a little bit of like my, my college years or like my social time that I could have had. I never really dabbled in like the parties or the drinking or, you know, any of that stuff. Um, but at the same Overrated. time. It is overrated, and I think the older that I get, the more I'm, like, thankful that I had jujitsu to keep me out of that stuff. Like, I I had a very, like, strict regimented schedule during those college years because in order to be successful at both my professional career and my fighting career, um, I had to be. Like, I had to adopt a very specific lifestyle, and I would deal with a lot of stuff for my friends and I'm like, you're so lame. Like, you never go out with us or, like, come out. And I'm like, I have been – I want to be a world champion. I'm not going to go out to the bar, <laughs> you know. Or, like, if I if I want to network with people that are going to progress my career, I'm not going to find them at the bar, you know. True. Um, Very true. So it just became, like, a sacrifices. I made a lot of sacrifices. And a lot of people, my friends and other people my age like look at me and they're like oh my gosh you do so much and like you've already done x y and z you're only 22 and i'm like well while you were having fun i was in pain so <laughs> you know i don't really feel bad but yeah i'm a very like if you want to go get it kind of person good good 
I think, you know, it, that's a very um, admirable, you know, just kind of trait to have. And I wish that I were more, especially, you know, back back in my 20s. I think in my 20s, I was definitely the one who's like, hey, man, come out and party. All right, I guess. <laughs> like, right. Why, why not? Sure. Like my, my one friend, she had said to me, we were talking about it a few years back. And I was like, man, I was, you know, working full time, going to school full time and partying full time. She's like, how did you do it? And I was like, I didn't. That's the problem. Like something had to lose. And something had to give. You know, it's like, and, and those keg parties were a lot of fun. And I didn't, that the keg parties didn't lose. They made me lose. So, you know, the, you know, all the the social and, and partying, you know, it's 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 cool. But you know, you've got yourself in a position where you're like, look, I'm you know, I'm moving in the right direction. I, you're you're you know, you're backloading life instead yeah. of frontloading. So good for you. Yeah, it's a the the three tiered system of like energy. What is it? Time, time efficiency or money, right? Something's got to give. You can't have yeah time and efficiency with money you can't have money and efficiency with time like so everything that you do like you gotta prioritize it's the prioritization the organization they tell us people all the time i have friends that like barely do anything and they're like i don't have time and i'm like that's a load of shit. you do have time you just organize it poorly you just have poor time management we have the same amount of hours in every single week and I do what I need to do in my hours and you do what you need to do in your hours. Don't look at me and judge my hours and how I use them. If you're not going to make maximum capacity of how you use your hours, you know, mind I, your hours. <laughs> I had a buddy, um, his wife, she asked me one day, we're, you know, just sitting around talking. I think she was doing like kind of a, an uh, Instagram, I guess IGTV at mm-hmm. the time, and I I was you know promoting it on VGJ Wiki, yep. and you know because it's like well look, I'll, I'll promote it. I can't guarantee that it's going to pick up anything because you know the people follow my account is a whole different group of people than what you're what you're you know given. Um, and you know as we're sitting there talking, she goes, you know like how do you find time to do the stuff that you do? Cause you're like, you're working, you're being a dad, you know, you're, you're doing multiple podcasts, you're training jujitsu and you're running like a bunch of like Instagram accounts. And it's like, so it's like, I mean, you know, I find the time. I mean, I make the time. It's not like, it's not like when I'm doing a podcast, I'm spending, you know, a full day on it. Yeah. Like we're recording here. I have one that I'm going to edit after this and that's, you know, uh, you know, about an hour, you know, cool. And I, I can make that happen probably later at night. Meanwhile, I'm going to, after we get done here, I'll prep stuff for that for later, but I'm, I want to go to Dave and Buster's with my daughter. Yeah. Like, go play video games like yeah. real quick. And, you know, y- you prioritize, you know, the, the things that matter most. And, yeah. you know, for me, it's, it's my wife and my daughter, you know, so we're going to go have fun. And then after that, come back. And, you know, I might sit down and, and watch, I don't know, Bluey with my daughter. I yeah. don't want to watch Bluey, but <laughs> she, she does. And it's like, let's go. Let's let's do it. 
and you know while that's happening you can kind of multitask off of that all right we're watching bluey i'm kind of paying attention but now let me go check these messages let's see yeah. here I can start setting up yeah. other guests you know there's there's always ways to kind of finagle you know things it's not so much like i think people from the outside they look at it like if you do something you have to like do it straight forward like it has to be done this way it's like no you can do tons of things i mean like right now I'm pretty sure they're training at the gym right now. I am not. And that's fine because there are other days that I can go train, you know, and, and work for me is Monday through Friday. So it's like everything fits into its place for everyone. However you, you know, need it to work. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Sav, thank you for doing this. I'm going to go ahead and wrap up and get, get you, get you into the rest of your day. So, um, before we get out of here, do you have any shout outs or mentions that you would like to drop for us? Um, I, I already name dropped April and G and Bone, um, but that's my shout out. All my teammates and training partners and also Hyperfly because they sponsor me, <laughs> uh, which I totally forgot to talk about. But that was like a crazy opportunity that popped up out of nowhere. And I was just like so happy about it. Um, yeah. But other than that, that's really all I got. All right. Well. We appreciate you sharing your time with us and sharing your story. I, I would definitely love to have you back on if, if you know, you, you know, be fine with yeah. coming back on because there, there's so much more to talk about. I know. Sure. I know. I could literally just like sit and talk forever, but yeah. At some point, my daughter comes down and I was like, hey, so dad, like, <laughs> hey, so like, what are you doing? <laughs> are you going to have lunch? <laughs> Yeah, it's like you like you want to eat like you like yeah. food, don't you? Look at you. you, you definitely like food. Dad, you've been down here nine hours. Are you okay? That that has happened. And she has <laughs> got to check on me. She'll come down with like snacks, like little fruit snacks and stuff. Like here, uh, then she'll save there for me. Then she'll open them and eat like eight of them. Like well, you can have those other three. Um, gotta love it. So um, as always, from everyone else, thank you. We do appreciate your support and your ears because, you know, you guys listen and I like it. Thank you. Thank you for doing all that. If you have any questions, concerns, criticisms, always feel free to reach out to me. You can find me at bjj.wiki on Instagram or off the mats podcast on Instagram. Um, you can email me. I probably will think you're a scammer. So just message me on Instagram. Um, that, that's just probably the safest bet because someone emailed me and I was scared. And then I replied like weeks later and it turned out to be legit. So just message me on Instagram. I'd like, and I mean, there's scammers there too, but I, I know the routine there. So um, I want to give a big shout out as always to my fellows over there at Nerd Rage Radio, Bobby, Chris, Joe, Marilyn, Phil, Ricky Tiki, um, Raul, Chucky O. All you cats, Casey, Baltimore, Brandon, the Rim Collectors, all you guys, fucking awesome. Love you guys. If it wasn't for for Nerd Rage Radio, I wouldn't be doing podcasting. It's just it's a fact. And go check out episode four hundred seven. I'm on there. I've been on in a while, so I'm back. Actually, I'm lying. I was on three ninety nine, four hundred, four hundred one, and four hundred seven. So my bad. Just go listen to those. You get tons of Dante. Um, also want to give a shout out to my other podcast. So you like horror, um, if you're into scary movies, go check that out. We are talking about horror and 
horror movies through the decades. We just reviewed a movie called Killer Kites by Paul Dell. Uh, it's a indie movie and it's it's a lot of fun. It's a fun romp. And then we're going to be doing horror by the decade still. We're going to be talking about the 1980s upcoming as well. So that's a big decade because I think most of the listeners kind of connect and relate to a lot of the films from that period because of all the icons, Freddie, Jason, uh, Chucky, Candyman, all that jazz. So uh, it's upcoming. Go check it out. You can find it on Instagram as well. So you like horror, all the words separated by underscores. And go listen to my podcast, dude. <laughs> Please. Um, and also last shout out here uh, goes to my guest here, Sav Wright. Thank you. And uh, go give a follow on Instagram to her as well. And and check out all the, the you know, cool activities and just adventures that she gets into. So, um, you know, and also here, you, you heard, you know, the story here. So now, now that you've heard the story, go follow the story. Go be a fan. Quit being, quit being cheapskates with your, your Instagram follows. Um, oh, yeah. Yo, go go do a review. Y'all ain't left me a review in a while on um, Apple Podcasts. It's been a minute. So go leave a review. I'll read your joints on, on air if y'all, y'all leave me a review. Um, and also, you know, word of mouth. You know, tell a friend to tell a friend. You know, get my podcast, listen to more. I don't make money off this. So not like I'm like, hey, get some more ears so I can make some money. But, you know, it's just go, go fucking listen to the podcast. All right. You know, and, you know, I'm a nice guy. You guys keep listening. I'm going to keep making these shows. Thank you, everyone. And bye. They probably said. Now let me see his song.